let's just get this out of the way before we even start this episode. Is Crush on your wrestling mullet Rushmore? Ooh, that is, that's a good, like, I see, I wondered how we were going to discuss the legacy of Crush because it is a checkered one. I don't know if this is going to be a Vader-esque episode or this is going to be... <laughs> I don't think it's going to be uh, that bad. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as Matt Bourne. But at the same time, too, this is not going to be something... This is not going to be a Chris Candido episode. So the legacy of Crush is, is, is a weird one. But if you were to discuss his legacy as far as, like, mullet and wrestling mullets go... Oh, we're talking top five. Hands down. Top five? All right. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Listen to me. Hear me out. Top three. Oh, Shawn Michaels has got to be up there, right? Yeah, for sure, Shawn. But you're thinking about territory guys too, right? Uh, See, like, I feel like WWF mullets just, I don't know if it was just, the mullets and the territories just seem so cheap. You know, like, I know that's like saying, like, hey, that El Camino looks very cheap, or that Nia, or here's about, <laughs> here that, uh, uh, that RAV4 looks really cheap. I know that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a statement I just made, but, um, cause El, El Camino's can be really fucking awesome and really expensive, so I don't know why I meant. Throw them under what, the bus, guy. Throw them under the bus. El Camino's can be fucking pretty fucking badass. I don't know why that popped in my head. I was thinking, it's just got a funny name, but RAV4s and Geometros. So all the territory mullets were like geometros in my mind. They were just clearly. I mean, Ricky Morton, I think, is number one. Yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't think it gets much better than that. Magnum TAs was pretty like high and tight. Oh uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. But yeah. if I want to mullet, I like the ridiculousness of crushes, especially Hawaii crush. Fuck, man. I don't know if it gets a whole heck of a lot better than that. And to do it with a straight face, I think that's where it is. Because there's a lot of fucking assholes now that are like, oh, I got a mullet now. I'm like Tiger King. <laughs> like, there's all these fucking... There's, this is a quote that I may have said on this podcast already. There are too many wrestlers trying to be like Tiger King and not enough of them trying to be like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. Uh. I think, but Crush, he rocked that mullet like, yeah, this is how I wear my hair. Much like as a man with a mustache, I'm not like, ooh, look, I'm trying to be weird with a mustache. No, I think I happen to look at my fucking best as a mustache. I would look (laughs) fucking weird without a fucking mustache, just bald with no facial hair. It's a weird fucking look. I see people with it all the time, and I don't know how people can pull it off other than Rick Carlisle. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Well, this is Tim Bell Pod. None of us have mullets. Micah doesn't even have hair, depending on when you're listening to this, because of a trivia game. (laughs) I am Nick, joined as always by Micah Loving. Hello, hello. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I'm going to say right now. And this this intro (laughs) is a uh, a special request by Ham and Eggers. Me, 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 me. We didn't start the campfire, Jake's hill turn, and now tent is burning, but we didn't start the campfire. <laughs> you, you can't even get through it, can you? Can't even get through it. God, if you would have done the whole song and that was a three-minute bit, that would have been the best fucking thing ever. First there were canvas tents, then there were Coleman came yeah. along, changed the game up, and hey, where are all these red flags for? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to write that now. We, yeah. we, we committed. All right, well, what, what are your first thoughts on uh, Mr. Brian Crush Adams? The most blah wrestler of all time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, don't get me wrong. Like, Crush definitely, like, passes the airport test, but I don't know if there's ever been a Crush match where I'm like, fuck yeah, Crush is wrestling. <laughs> now, I will say this, though. 
I dug the Chronic era uh, yes. crush, but <laughs> like Chronic was right in that sweet spot of me being a teenager, 16, 17 years old, fucking tight clubbing shirts with barbed wire, and like, oh. and just be like, I'm just going to beat fucking people up. Like that whole, like, we're just going to not sell for nobody and beat the shit out of people. Like, there's a little bit of thing of that that you, you enjoy as a 16, 17-year-old. And then when you learn about the marijuana references, even though you don't smoke marijuana or even know what it is or even seen it before in your life when you're a 16, 17-year-old kid in <laughs> Iowa. I don't know. It was kind of cool to see two big, badass dudes beating the shit out of guys. I think, like, chronic matches I was more excited for, but I enjoyed it. So, like I said, I don't know how to feel about Crush. Uh, yeah. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll make an opinion by the end of the episode, but... I just feel like, man, this is the most blah wrestle we've ever done. Like, I was more excited to do Ludwig Borga because at least I knew exactly how I felt about Ludwig Borga. Like, <laughs> piece of shit. Like, that's, I just, but Crush, I don't, I want to be as fair as possible, but there's a couple of things we're going to have to fucking uh, hold them over yeah, the fire yeah. too. so. All right, Jake, having said that, you can imagine how excited I was to learn this trivia bit about Crush. Crush is the only person in the history of ever, as far as I know, people can tweet at me, to ever kick out of the razor's edge. That move was protected as fuck. It would kill people. Scott Hall said he would only use it in a match if he won with it. And there's a, it's some German video exclusive match. Crush kicks out of the fucking razor's edge. All right. Brian Keith Adams was born April 14th, 1964 in Kona, Hawaii. And to go along with the theme of how exciting this episode's going to be, on the same day, Alan James Olympic Racewalker was also born. Now, this is just as interesting. Racewalking is different from running because one foot must appear to be in contact with the ground at all times. You cannot have two feet off the ground. So there we go. Starting off exciting as well. Well, also, too, on this day in history, the Canadian singer Brian Adams was also born, too. What? Oh, my God. Like, are <laughs> they the same person? Because if you, if you so do cool. a Google search, you definitely have to put uh, wrestler in, because if you search Brian Adams, it, it'll cut like a knife. I promise you. <laughs> and at least that Brian Adams spells his name weird with a Y, but our Brian, just a plain old B-R-I-A-N. Even still, you, you spell it like that, it still comes up all the same. Like, don't you mean Canadian singer Brian Adams? It does, not Crush? It does. You want to learn about Summer 69, not about WrestleMania 9, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we're looking at? After graduating from high school, Adams joined the U.S. Air Force where he began boxing, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. How are you supposed to punch someone when you're flying a plane? Dude, when you're out of missiles, you eject from the plane and you go ba 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 at the, the plane with your fist. Duh. <laughs> Haven't you seen Behind Enemy Lines? Yeah, I never did. Uh, no, with Gene it's, Hackman? It's like, yeah, I think he was like, he ejected and he was behind em Enemy Lines. And... Owen Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. You're not so talking he... about the fourth or fifth one, right? No, I'm not talking about the one with <laughs> Ken Kennedy in it. While he was stationed in Japan, he got into pro wrestling like a nerd. You know it's not real, right? He ended up getting trained by the Antonio Inoki, which is a very solid wrestling foundation. And I assume he was done with the Air Force and didn't just, like, desert to go be a wrestler. That is a good point. I didn't see anything about him getting court-martialed for abandonment <laughs> or anything. When you watch Crush wrestle, do you go, ah, that's a New Japan guy? Well, not now. New, J New Japan has a different... It's a whole different thing now. It's more like, oh, that's definitely a New Japan guy from the 80s. Like, that's more like yeah. what you see with Crush. <laughs> Keep in mind where New Japan was. They weren't spending all the money to fly over the American talent like All Japan was. Like, All Japan was, like, paying a ridiculous amount of money where Inoki was 
oh, I'll pay a lot for Brody, but I won't know what to fucking do with him. And then, like, he'd have Tiger Jeet Singh, and then he'd have a couple other guys, but he's like, ah, you know what? I really don't want to pay an exorbitant amount of money for American talent. So he probably is like, well, I need Americans here. This guy lives up the street. I'm going to save on trans, <laughs> brother. Like, don't tell me the Japanese aren't, aren't working much like a promoter in, you know, eastern Kentucky. Like, oh, I got, I got an American right here. What do you need? That was the equivalent to the old saying you always do about, oh, we'll go find some jobbers at a gas station. We'll, we'll figure this shit out. Brian made his wrestling debut in New Japan in 86, but his work visa expired and he had to go back to the United States. And there he would link up with Don Owens and Portland Brother for his first of many runs in Portland and Pacific Northwest Wrestling. I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, I have had some of the worst experience of my life in the Pacific Northwest. Like, and I really, <laughs> I really don't want to. Like, I've really tried to have like the best possible experiences in my life in the Pacific Northwest, and it's never worked out that way. And also, too, part of the reason why is because, like, you know, Roddy Piper called that place home. Also, too, like, the, for what I understand, the, the Portland Territory, always well-respected. Don Owens, always a great payoff man. All the guys would talk about how wonderful it was during the summertime and the spring. Like, you could open up all the windows in your house, and it was basically, like, cool enough so you'd, never, you'd save a ton of money on air conditioning for, like, months at a time. Like I said, like, every time I hear Portland now, I was like, it's like, man, I was supposed to have such a good time there. And I've flown there three <laughs> times expecting a lot. Yeah, I love to learn that uh, old Brian Adams uh, went by the moniker of the American Ninja, which I had to look up because everybody's favorite Michael Dudikoff movies, the American Ninja, were hot now. So right around 89 when he was doing it, you got American Ninja 3 coming out. So no matter where you go, you always get them picking and choosing and finding what's popular. And yeah, we'll throw this 300 pound guy. He's a karate expert. Another thing you can't Google with Brian Adams, American Ninja, because of American Ninja Warrior, Brian Adams the singer. It's, it's, it's a clusterfuck. It took me five minutes just to find a YouTube video. <laughs> these, these 80s wrestlers have no SEO capabilities. By 87, he'd get back over to New Japan through 88 and even do some work in All Japan in 89, competing in their Giant Series tour. He'd tag with Dan Spivey, Mike Miller, and face all the All Japan regs. You got Tenta, Kimura, Big Boba. And this is 89. Is switching between New Japan and All Japan, it's not as horrible as it was like five years earlier, right? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a killable offense in Japan. <laughs> still be pretty pretty well contested just about any time giant bubba as you would say is alive <laughs> like anytime he was around like it was it was that series of events there's that wrestling summit there's a famous photograph of Vince McMahon with Anoki and Baba, and they're all like, I think, in the ring or in the back, and they're and like Baba and Anoki shake hands publicly. And that was like such a, a huge, huge moment right. in in wrestling, and, and it was something they never thought they would see. And I think that was like early '90s, so even oh, okay. in '89, it was still very, still very touch and go. I definitely know when the Bulldogs made a jump, it was like, whoa, this is serious yeah. fucking goddamn shit. And, like, I mean, that's just a matter of anywhere at least three to four years. So I don't think it was any calmer than it was before. And, and pretty much any time that Baba was around, like, even after, like, the, the handshake and the big summit and guys going back and forth all the time anyways. Like, Teneru and Choshu were kind of the guys that softened that blow. 
Because they were guys that just kind of, they were like the Jeff Jarrett of Japan in the sense that they were just like, oh, I'm over here, I'm over there. And then like the jumping back and forth. This guy's gone back and forth like a couple of times now. So the idea of it is like, well, he's not dead. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things, like someone like Tenaru and, and Choshu, them going kind of back and forth like that. Once somebody goes through that door a couple of times, it swings a little bit wider each time. So in uh, August 89, Brian was back stateside where he had what I assume was a tryout when he did a match with the wrestling auctioneer of our time, Barry Horowitz. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, <laughs> uh, Nicholas Alexander. And, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I feel like I'm choking. I might have to pat myself on the <laughs> yeah, back. Might on the choking. Barry, why'd you do this to me? To, to let you guys know the context of that joke, Barry Horowitz used to watch my Facebook live auctions for highspots.com, and now all of a sudden he's doing his live Facebook auctions at the same time he's, that yeah. I do mine, and it upsets me greatly because I love Barry Horowitz so much, and I gave him a shout out on mine because I love him to death, and now he is competing against me, and that son of a bitch, if I fucking see him, I swear to God. <laughs> You know what happened was you were you were happy about him watching. You were gloating. You were perhaps doing some push-ups, and he rolled your ass up. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. I, all my attention was on Sunny and just <laughs> a Sunny signed eight by ten, or like, oh shit, she said this on Twitter. What Barry Horowitz has a show now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you challenged him on that one auction, so maybe this is just you know the competition that you asked for. Bruh, we're gonna have we're gonna have a five star <laughs> classic. I promise you. Me and Barry Horowitz are gonna have an awesome fucking match. In late 89, Brian was back in Portland where he had a tag team with the Grappler and won the Pacific Northwest Tag Titles. Here you go, Jake. Tell me their real name. These belts were also held by Beetlejuice. Art Bar. Scotty the Body. Oh, you mean Scott Levy? You, you mean a Raven? <laughs> the, the king of the shoots, you know. Oh, you mean Scott Levy? Yeah. Raven. No, no, yeah. Scott Levy. And not John Tenta, but Avalanche. This one's harder. Not John Tento, Avalanche. Oh, oh, was there another Avalanche? I give up on this one. PN News. Oh, <laughs> Seriously? <okay>. Wow. <laughs> Dynamite Kid, the Hennings, and Piper held the tag titles. Though. Who cares about them? Um, <laughs> one thing I got to recommend through the roof. I'm not even going to describe it because it doesn't do it justice, but go on YouTube and look up Brian Adams versus Big Beetlejuicer, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Warner. The first 90 seconds of this is my favorite thing currently in the world. I've probably watched it <laughs> 10 fucking times. It, it's, it's fucking bizarro, why is this happening perfection. Match-wise, actually, Scotty the Body and Brian have a decent match where you get to see uh, Raven in his total 80s garb. He was a heel, but now he's kind of turning face at this particular moment. It's pretty good stuff. Um, if you want to see Brian Adams spit mist like the Great Muda, watch him versus Super Ninja. He has an arm wrestling contest with Scott Norton. It's kind of fun. There, there's some stuff on YouTube, but please, dear God, watch Brian Adams versus Big Beetlejuice or Jeff Warner. I beg you. 1990, Brian would join the WWF for his first run as Crush. After hitting the Hot Topic lingerie section, Adams became the third member of the Tag Team Champions Demolition. Hot Topic lingerie? That's the comment you're going to make? You mean full-on <laughs> Red Door BDSM. Like, let's just call it what it is. And I would like to describe them as S&M meets D&D. 
Crush made his TV debut with Demolition on June 23rd. Superstars squashing Paul Diamond and Joe Champ. Crush would technically be a tag team champion as he get to defend the titles under the Freebird rule, which allows any member of a stable to defend the title as long as you promise that after you retire, you work for Vince dressed like you run a brothel in Mississippi. <laughs> I also have dressed like an All Lives Matter birthday clown. Any of those? I, I, I like them all. They're all pretty solid. <laughs> Crush got his first match in the spotlight on the July 28, 1990 episode of Saturday Night's main event where Demolition took on the Rockers. And the mullets just <laughs> flowing the whole time. You have Shawn Michaels in there, all-time great mullet. Crush, all-time great mullet. I mean, even Barry Darso, just the fri- the frizzled mullet, the the, the shoveled <laughs> mullet, the, the the just it's on the verge of being territory level mullet, but it, it's still right up there. But it's but it's a balding mullet, so we can't put it at the top of good mullets. But it is in discussion <laughs> yeah, of mullets nonetheless. Of course, slick back hair of of Bill Eady, Axe, who was dealing was dealing with the shellfish sickness that just plagued him for years. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. Demolition was doing like uh, it's it was kind of dumb because none of them look anything alike. They were doing the old switcheroo with Axe on the outside. Uh, Sean has Smash rolled up, and then Axe gets in, clotheslines him down. They do the switch, and then Axe gets the three count. Afterwards, the Heart Foundation runs out to narc on Demolition. So you yeah. have Brett going to bat for Sean Michaels here, and then LOD comes down to the ring, but it turns out they were just looking for the bathroom. I'm sure Brett in his book, like I skipped around on Brett's book. It was very hard to fucking read. I'm sure somewhere in Brett's book, he goes, you know, I even stuck up for Sean one time. There was a switch, a demolition, a Saturday Night's Main Event, and I went down in the ring and I made a point to tell that referee. And so it goes to show, I've always been good to Sean, and I can't believe he would do this. All back in the day, I was really going to bat for him. As a matter of fact, I felt like Sean should have won the belts that night. I just feel like I've always stuck up for Sean. <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> i believe every word they go into 1990s SummerSlam where crush and smash face the heart foundation and uh brett in the pre-match promo here drops some phil collins lyrics oh <laughs> brett just drops do 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 why couldn't he just bring up brian adams lyrics that would have been so meta and genius holy shit Bro, let me tell you this. (laughs) There is a connection. I see it. You see it. Especially when you see Brian Adams' name on a piece of paper, bro. And and the reason why, I see Brian Adams' name on a piece of paper all the time. Because I'm a writer. This is what I do. I write his name. Brian Adams will walk to the ring. And then I go, is this the real Brian Adams who sang Summer 69? And I'm like, no, that's not the same, bro. And everybody in their minds, bro, they make that connection. So what I'm saying to you, Vince, is we start naming our wrestlers after easy listening rock stars. (laughs) Hear me out. I think Sean should change his name to Sean Richard Mox. That's what I'm saying. I, and then I'm thinking, hear me out, possibly, maybe, instead of Yokozuna, we call him Tommy Two-Tone. Just an oh. idea. Just a total oh. idea. 
And then when they announce his weight, they say weighing in at eight five three zero six zero nine. That's what they could do. We get the whole crowd doing that. That would be insane and so hot, bro. And I'm just saying it's a minor suggestion to the whole paradigm. <laughs> this is a two out of three falls match. Crush gets a pin on Brett for the first fall. For the second fall, the Heart Foundation hits a heart attack. And Brett goes for the pen, but Crush, who could have just broken up the pen. I know, pen, it's so stupid. <laughs> he, like, so dives on the ref. It's so dumb. <laughs> they get yeah, DQ'd to make it one-to-one. Then Axe comes down. They try to do the bullshit. LOD comes down to stop their cheating. And in the chaos, Brett gets the third and final fall on Crush. All three men of Demolition would get into a house show feud with LOD, who ended up adding Ultimate Warrior building up to Survivor Series 90. So Demolition plus Mr. Perfect would take on LOD and Kerry Von Eric. I don't know if you guys remember the meme I made about this one. It was pretty good. It was a love for Mr. Perfect. <laughs> LOD and Warrior and Kerry get the win. And after Survivor Series, they took on the entire tag division at house shows through 91. You got the Hart Foundation, the Bushwhackers, LOD, the Rockers. And they were doing a good bit of losing because backstage, Axe was getting into a little bit of beef with WWF, which made them get de-pushed. Boo. Crush would get his first spot at a WrestleMania card at 7 when he and Smash took on Tenaru and Koji Katao. WrestleMania 7 is March 24th, 91, so we're like a week away from the earthquake shoot. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Oh, no. This is this is like basically WWF is deep in with SWS, that sunglass or eyeglass company that Tenaru has basically had start up as we detailed in the John Tenta episode. And this WrestleMania 7 match is basically like a thank you, Tenaru, for everything you do. We're going to introduce you to American audiences and we're going to put you over. And your boy, Katow, we're going to put him over. And this is what we're going to do, just kind of as a thank you for your relationship. Who should we have jobs? I don't know. We seem to not like demolition anymore. Let's do that. Uh, let's bury the shit out of them. Yeah, I wish this match was a shoot because it fucking sucked. Uh, yep. <laughs> Just imagine how much how much Koji Katao would have would have shot and been a dickhead if they hadn't won the match. I mean, this is this is actually WrestleMania Seven was one of the last How did this get booked episodes, and we we discussed mm. that. So after WrestleMania, Crush was relieved of his duties, and they were just on the brink of breaking up Demolition altogether. Brian Adams headed back to Japan and started working again in Portland. There's a YouTube clip where you get to see Demolition Crush in full face paint and garb in Portland talking shit to Billy Jack Haynes. And it's just one of those things like, how are you not immediately getting sued right after this promo <laughs> ends? Axe was doing the same exact fucking thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Axe was, I think he, Axe went to Japan and was Demolition Axe. It might have been wrestling for SWS too. Like, hey, you guys still good over here? Well, I'm going to come over and <laughs> be Demolition Axe. You just had WWF, guys. I'm going to come back in my WWF gimmick and be here. Okay, good. With a WWF smell still fresh on him in Portland, he'd get a Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship win and also another tag run. By 92, Crush was back in the WWF, but after escaping Demolition's weird uncle sex cult, he got back to his Hawaiian roots, he got a new gimmick, and it was just like a chill brother. Well, it's almost funny, like, he did the Demolition thing, and then he comes back, and then it's like, oh, so we can't really do Demolition anymore, what, what, tell me about yourself. And, and all of a sudden, Crush was like, well, I'm from Hawaii. 
what the fuck? You're from Hawaii? Why the <laughs> fuck did we ever put you in demolition then? We need to put all the fuchsia on you right fucking now. <laughs> what? You're from Hawaii? I've never exploited, I mean, employed anybody from Hawaii before. Let's make you Hawaiian. It's like, we're going to get you looking like a Wings and Eagles Myrtle Beach superstore come to life. Ah, <laughs> uh, never mind. Uh, he, no, uh, do, it, do it anyway. You can always edit it out. I was going to do a, a little Clint Noor tribute about his joke about the wings, the wings beside the wings, the hermit crab, the only animal whose natural habitat is a fucking gift shop. <laughs> R.I.P., sir. Uh, R.I.P. Crush gets back on TV May 9th, 92 on Superstars, and Vince has such a good call at the beginning of it. He goes, ever since he was a wee little baby, all he's ever wanted to do is crush. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> Leading up to this match, they actually, I don't know if you guys got to watch any of the vignettes that they did to build up Crush into this shit, but they did these little black and white flashback vignettes where Crush, who had no accent in these vignettes, the accent did not come, Vince had not gotten the great idea to do an accent that only an episode of Unsolved Mysteries could fucking figure out, but they would do these little vignettes where Crush would be like, I used to be told to mind my manners, and then it would flash back to this black and white video of this little kid who's playing with Lincoln Logs, and then he crushes a can. And then Crush leans into the camera and says, who's gonna make me mind my manners now? And there's other ones. It's, it, look them up. They're really bad. It's like they gave up, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. It's kind of it's what you expect. <laughs> Listen, these are Bruce Pritchard produced flew to hawaii to do them either that, just so wait, w- either that or alcohol was like half off by the poolside bar i don't know like <laughs> yeah. i can't fault them for any of this <laughs> they're definitely worth looking up because they're just kind of wow crush would hit the house show loop with kato and then he does just an all-star team of job guys on tv uh, horowitz Dwayne gill skinner brooklyn brawler the one cool thing he would do with all the jobbers after he would beat the crap out of all of them but then after the match crush was such a good guy and put him over as a face he would pull the jobbers up who are still selling and and destroyed he'd raise their hand like hey this guy tried this guy tried and as soon as as soon as crush let go of them they would collapse into the middle of the ring it was a, it was a nice little touch this guy tried but you all know i've got the fucking push right now all right like vince <laughs> right. he he wants me to be a big fucking star <laughs> The Big Hawaiian would go into SummerSlam taking on former Demolition teammate whose stepdad made him get a real job, Repo Man. This has to be the most drastic gimmick changes between two guys ever, right? Yeah, that's a full circle that's, uh. <laughs> oh, give it time. They'll fucking top that in the next year or so. Like, <laughs> yeah, every true. time I tune in, like, what the fuck is going on on WWE TV? Like, half the time, like, oh, this guy's a bad guy now? Oh, no, this guy's a serious technical wrestler, but you guys hate wrestlers, but you put one on TV? Oh, okay. Oh, wait, wait, this guy's a bad Okay, it, what the fuck is Roman Reigns now? I don't fucking know. Like... <laughs> He's with Paul Heyman now, apparently. Huh? What? what? Oh, well, you should have done that years ago. Why now? Yeah. What's going on here? I don't fucking know. Like, oh, Gronk's <laughs> here? Now he's not here? Vince is jumping off shit? I don't fucking know. Crush gets the win on Repo Man by crushing his skull with his bare hands. Uh, just a fact for you. On the absolute low end, the normal human skull can withstand 520 pounds of compression and up to 2,000, while the average wow. human hands can only squeeze 200 pounds. Did they expose the business here? Did you just say average human hands, though? 
what you you saying crush is a fucking average (laughs) all right fair point (laughs) for the rest of 92 and 93 he'd have a house show run with the wish version of amazon's bruiser brody the berserker i went a long way to make that not good joke Mm -hmm. (laughs) he'd take on uh, papa shango and even get some time on the brand new monday night raw with uh terry taylor before getting into his first big feud that led him all the way to wrestlemania 9 and we definitely touched on this in our matt Bourne episode obviously but this feud with crush really got doink over as like a legit ill why why, why'd you make the kids cry brah why'd you make the kids (laughs) cry um, my favorite part of the whole feud is that he talks about how his grandfather used to be a clown and how his grandfather made the kids smile and happy, but not doink, he makes them sad. So he's going to get revenge and beat the shit out of a clown in front of children to make them happy. <laughs> this mania match is what it is. We get the cool double doink spot and uh, Crush loses. The doink feud wouldn't be over at WrestleMania 9. They keep working house shows together all the way up to 93's King of the Ring when we would get the showdown of the mullets live from the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio when Crush got a shot at Shawn Michaels' Intercontinental title. An important thing from this match is Macho Man on commentary states that he believes Crush could slam Yokozuna. We'd also get what I think is the best double doink spot when they both come out smoking a cigar. It's so cool. There's one in a Lex Luger match, which I'm oddly kind of recommending between those two. You get to see uh, those two do arm drags that look good, so there's something to go on. But the the double doink spot at the end of the Lex Luger Raw match is fucking fantastic. You get a doink up in the balcony taunting Brian Adams, and then he points to the other end of the arena, and there's another doink with a spotlight on him, and Crush is like, oh, they're everywhere! It's really fucking cool. What a way to bury a fucking guy that the clown's getting better of you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and this is supposed to get crush over as a baby face? Like, this clown is fucking clowning you at every fucking turn. It's almost like Vince saw Uncle Buck and was like, you know how we're going to get crush over? (laughs) The same way that Uncle Buck got over as a baby face punching a fucking clown. I was like, I want that shit. I I want crush to get over by fucking destroying a clown. And, like, they didn't do any of that shit. Like, of course fucking Crush had such a blod career. A clown is making him look stupid. I'm, like, you, like, just telling the story. Like, it's like, I'm all for Matt Bourne. And so, sorry, Crush. Toink would also cost him the King of the Ring match when he was distracted and HBK super kicked him in the back of his head. Yeah, I mean, poor Crush, the, the back of Crush's head went through so much. He got, like, a Martin Scorsese beatdown with a prosthetic arm to the back of the <laughs> skull. He takes sweet shit music to the back of the skull. I mean, dude's just fucked right from the beginning. On uh, the 4th of July that year, Crush was one of the guys that tried to body slam Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid following Macho Man's advice. Yeah, he was the only one that got him off his feet. That was how they tr- they tried to build him up, because Scott Steiner couldn't even do it. But then Crush got him off his feet. But then Lex did the last little oomph. Well, I'm sure if you talk to Scott Steiner, you're like, I could have slammed him, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> I got too much testosterone in my veins. I got way more testosterone than the, the Triple H does. That's why he has all girls. So fuck him, <laughs> with all due respect. <laughs> In the in the build up to this too, they also uh, gave Crush a match with uh, old Bastion Booger, and uh, he body slammed him three times, and that was build him up to this match. It's like he slammed Bastion Booger three times, that's like one Yokozuna. 
they give him the chance to body slam Yokozuna. He can't do it. And that somehow lands him a world title shot on July 12th, 92's Raw in the opening bout. Crush puts up a good fight, but gets crushed, if you will, by four bonsai drops before Macho Man saves him. But the damage was done. Crush has to get stretchered off and would be off TV until October to heal up some of his real injuries. They said that he hurt his back for real when he lifted Yokozuna, but I didn't know if that was kayfabe, but then there's the cover with Yoko crushing him with the bonsais for that being the kayfabe, so I don't know what the fuck is really real anymore. Still working us 30 years later. God. Well, leave it to WWF this time. It's one of those things like, oh, you're hurt? Well, can you go out and have this match and we can really <laughs> hurt you? Like, right. like, that was such, like, nobody ever thought about that, but that's something that they did a lot in wrestling. Like, oh, you <laughs> yeah. got hurt? Well, do you mind do it wrestling this one match where we we do an injury angle with you? Like, are you, are you okay with that? Like, that's always the thing in fucking wrestling that we were just okay with. I think the only time that, like, the first time that they were like, hey, this guy's injured, maybe we shouldn't have him go out there, was, like, when Edge uh, hurt his neck and he had to relinquish the world title. Or I was thinking their thing, like, man, if, like, Edge had, like, a situation where if he took one more bump, he'd have paralysis. They'd be like, hey, do you think we could do a thing where somebody attacks you and then you get rolled up? It's like, like I know like one more bad hit, you're fucked forever. But do you think you could just like drop the fucking belt? I mean, we did it with Dynamite Kid. And he turned out great. So maybe Crush actually did hurt his fucking back. And Vince was just like, hey, do you want to do this one angle? Just kind of explain what you're on TV. Have so, a full yeah. match. Do what you can. Do what you do whatever. What? But we're going to have like this, I don't know, 500 pound man jump on you a fucking bunch of times. Just to clarify that you're actually hurt. To justify that you're actually fucking hurt. Yeah, I love how they could easily have sold the injury angle with like two Bonze drops. Just one extra to make it bad. But fucking four. <laughs> Well, no, you, the more is always better. Like, when Shawn Michaels got powerbombed by Sid Vicious, like, 18 fucking times on Raw, <laughs> holy fucking shit, I've never seen anybody get an ass whooping like that before, ever. That was just so fucking bad, and it, just, yeah. it burned in my fucking head. And considering how much of a fucking prick Shawn was on camera as a, as a heel, uh, like, it made you feel real fucking sorry for Shawn. So this next part's fucking weird. Macho Man implies that Crush can slam Yokozuna. He, he doesn't, so Yokozuna beats his ass on Raw. Crush comes back to Raw October 18th and joins Yokozuna. What the? I don't follow what's going on. It, it's Stockholm Syndrome mixed with Battered Wife Syndrome. They're <laughs> getting really psychological and deep. Fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> Another point. Crush brings up in his promo buildup of Turning Heel that he actually has Japanese ancestors because Crush always got to have a little foot in the door when he fucking does shit. Crush forgives Macho Man, but swerve, bro, he really didn't. He, he clotheslines the fucking Slim Jims out of him. Yoko comes out and bonsai's him. He also drops him uh, mouth first onto a guardrail, and you can see Savage put his little uh, blood tablet in there. And the best thing is later on episodes of Wrestling Challenge or whatever the hell was going on then, Todd Pettengill would sell it that Savage uh, had a lacerated tongue from falling on the guardrail. And he sells it by saying, imagine eating a salty potato chip. That would really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I love Todd Pettengill so much. He was in over his head from the beginning. And, right. the only, and the only reason he got a fucking job, well, I mean, he was good at, he was good at his job, but the, the interview yeah. went horribly. And if he wouldn't have like made a fucking... Boop joke to Vince McMahon, he wouldn't have been hired. Oh, is that is that the story? I don't know that. 
Well, the story is that he did an interview. He's a tremendous radio personality. I think he's still even on the radio today. He's a tremendous broadcaster. And he got brought in, and I guess the interview and the audition went fucking horribly. And so he's like, fuck. He's like, mind if I go to the bathroom? Or like, they took a break, and then he's just like, I can't believe this. And he's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, just kind of splash some water on my face. He walked in the bathroom, and he's just like, he's like, oh, gosh. It's like somebody's blowing this fucking bathroom up. (laughs) <laughs> and all of a sudden he's just like hey buddy how about a courtesy flush because he just didn't give a fuck anymore then all of a sudden uh todd heard ha, 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 that's a good one kid <laughs> nice one pal i need you on my fucking team wow. <laughs> so basically wow. just, tell, just telling vince that his shit stinks basically got him his job <laughs> was always the story that i heard about todd pettengale oh that's <laughs> like, good shit so yeah i i guess that's the fucking thing uh but just jim ross being able to make analogies and painting a wonderful picture from being a sports broadcaster and using some of his sports analogies to convey to people um, who've played sports for what's going on in the ring to you know tell a good story not everybody can be as gifted as jim ross i guess if, you know if you're someone like todd pettengale um who's probably done very little athletically Eating a salty potato chip when you have a cut in your tongue <laughs> is probably the only way you can convey pain. Like, I don't know. He was like in a Superman comic from the 60s. He was very much like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you just wait till Superman gets here or you don't do that. You don't, you know, I, I like I like Todd Bango. Well, I mean, yeah, he, had, so. he had big shoes to fill. He was basically filling me and Gene Okerlund. It was, it was a no-win situation. He did a, a good enough job at what he did and like probably showed up to work on time, did exactly what the company wanted for them, caused little or no fuss, and was happy and, and worked very hard for them in a time where they probably weren't paying people very well because of all the fucking steroid trial and everything else going on. So I can't fucking say anything bad about the guy. So now a uh, big bat guy, Crush would get in what's maybe his most high-profile match at Survivor Series as part of the Foreign Fanatics taking on the All-Americans. We This is the third time we've brought this match up. Yeah. It is a good continuation of the Macho Man thing as he interferes like a madman a few times. Then the U.S. team wins and Santa comes out. It is stupid. <laughs> Building up to their match at WrestleMania has some really fun stuff. There's a Raw where right after Crush turns on Savage, you got Randy Savage's commentator, who won't be held back by Vince McMahon, throws fucking Vince to the ground as they get into a brawl. Kayfabe-wise, that apparently cost Macho his commentating job for assaulting Vince. Look up the, the WrestleMania contract signing. Randy Savage has one of the best lunging, diving like a psychopath dives I've seen in way too long. On the house show loop, they were doing two out of three falls, falls count anywhere matches, and uh, look up their face-to-face dueling promos where Randy Savage calls Fuji garbage over and over. Very entertaining stuff. There's also, probably put it in the Savage episode more, but Savage cuts a one-on-one kind of behind-the-scenes, like, five-minute promo on how Crush betrayed him and how hurt he felt and how he's still at the top of the game and how he's going to get revenge at WrestleMania. It's Vince interviewing him. And it's Savage just like peak. They all think he's falling off, but he just nails fucking five minutes. It feels like off the cuff of just Savage being Savage. He's, he crushes the shit out of it. Well, and a lot of this is, you know, this is during the time that, you know, Bruce Pritchard has talked a lot about how Macho's talking about, you know, he wants to be more involved in the office and the production yeah. and commentary. But then there's still that time where, like, 
he kind of still wants to be wrestling. It's it's a weird time in his career. Like I can empathize with it, where you're like, you know what, you realize that you don't have many years left in your prime or in the ring. So it's like you want to prepare for that, but at the same time too, you don't want to like you want to let go of the fact that you're an amazing performer. He liked Crush. He probably felt like, oh, I could get the kid over, you know. And it feels like he's doing something to help get Crush over, help with the production of the show and realizing like, hey, I still have some attributes available to me as a wrestler that I can use to get this guy over in a better position, which I feel like is valuable as opposed to just being a commentator and getting him over, just being an interviewer and getting him over, or being an office guy and writing a storyline for this guy. You can take the name brand of Macho Man to help bolster this guy and being the star that we want, but... This is fucking crush, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know if Macho Man can't get it out of you. You don't got it in you. That's what I'm gonna say. Like, <laughs> I know a fan requested this episode, and I apologize if Crush was your favorite wrestler or Crush was your uncle, but he didn't have it in him. And like, if you can't get it out of you by Macho Man working with you at WrestleMania, I don't know what else to say. Like, sorry. That's what blew my mind because Macho Man is still so fucking over yeah. in 93. Like, they could have put the belt on him and no one would have complained. Well, Bret Hart. But no fan would have been mad to see Macho Man in the early 90s as your champion. He was still, like, a god tier. And this feud did fucking nothing for Crush. Dead zip. So WrestleMania 10 has two of the greatest matches of all time on it. This is the opposite. It's literally like nine minutes long. It's 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 so fast for everything they set up. It, it is beyond fucking disappointing. Well, fucking Brett took up all that fucking time with Owen in the beginning. Like, everybody's <laughs> going to blame fucking Sean years later. But we got to remember that Owen and Brett, they fucking went long on their time. Following Mania, Crush went on a big old house show feud with Lex Luger that lasted until August before losing a series of casket matches to The Undertaker and leaving the company. From what I saw, I know cage match isn't like perfect, but uh, he didn't do shit until January 95 when he came back to WWF for the Royal Rumble. He'd enter at 30, he came straight in, he knocked out the smoking guns, he took out Adam Bomb, Fatu, and made it all the way to the final three before getting tossed by the British Bulldog. Well, and here's the thing, though. Like, they brought him back, and they're kind of thinking, like, well, maybe he's going to get that big reaction. At 30, we'll give him 30. (laughs) Or, yeah, like, just, you know, like, like, you've done this over the years of, like, Oh, Billy Gunn. Yeah. Oh, shit. Bubba Ray Dudley. Ah, oh, and then people lose their mind. Obviously, they were doing it far back, but they're like, ah, oh, Crush. And people are like, yeah, fucking Crush, motherfucker. Like, so <laughs> what? Yeah, it's Sunny Delight, Chocolate, bro. Uh, Sunny Delight's okay. I like Sunny Delight. Yeah, yeah. The Rumble was won by Shawn Michaels, who entered at number one, and he won the entire thing in 38 minutes and 41 seconds. That has to be one <laughs> of the shortest. Was that fast? Was it, uh, I guess it was 60 second uh, in between? I assume, but that most guys, they interact like four and still get like 50 minutes out of it. Yeah, Jesus. So rumor has it that Crush was going to be put in a feud with The Undertaker and the two would face off at WrestleMania 11, but that did not happen because Crush got himself in a wee bit of trouble. On March 13th, 1996, he was arrested for steroids and possessing an illegal handgun, which got him fired. Was that it? You you less I heard multiple weapons and like a fucking treasure trove of steroids. I don't understand. Okay. 
I think it's like a five-hour flight from L.A. to Hawaii. Was he like, all right, well, I just got done doing a loop from Poughkeepsie, New York, to Allentown, Pennsylvania, New Haven, Connecticut. We did Raw, the Manhattan Center, and now I get to go home. All right, now let's fly to L.A., then Hawaii, and then come all the way back again to go to Des Moines, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Like, I know why you would have a home in Hawaii, but, like shit like you had to have a fucking condo on the east coast because like i don't i don't fucking get it maybe that's like he's just like i'm just gonna keep all my steroids and all my fucking guns on hawaii that's what i'm thinking that's what i'm thinking all of them and it's i'm gonna treat this like my storage unit and no if i had that amount of shit in my fucking house and i work five minutes away that would be disturbing but like (laughs) Like, he probably, like, hey, just, I'm not going to be home for, like, three months. And when I go home, I want to re- refill. I got enough for the road here, but I need to refill. Like, I need to restock. But I was like, like, was his house Sam's Club for steroids and guns? <laughs> I, so I want to know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I bet he tried that defense of, I don't even live there. I don't know who's been putting what in storage units. I, I can't control everything. It would work if you look at his fucking travel schedule. I promise you. <laughs> in his off time because he only got like probation and house arrest his house he wasn't even at most of the fucking time they're like you're going to now stay at your fucking house in hawaii that you haven't fucking gone to in the last three months okay cool that's my fucking prison so uh in, in his off time he could still make money though his crush but he would do it in bollywood The 1996 movie, I'm going to butcher this worse than Nick trying to say Japanese names. This is Kalidion Ka Kalidi. I think I kind of did pretty okay there. This is a two hour and 42 minute movie. The opening scene is we got an evil Indian businessman tells this story about his fighter. It's kind of like a blood sport uh, situation, but pro wrestling uh, context. Evil Indian businessman tells a story about how his fighter was once a coal miner, but an avalanche occurred and it trapped all 120 coal miners below snow and ice. And it took them 30 days to dig them all out. All they could find was one body. That was Crush's body and 119 skeletons because (laughs) Crush ate every single man to survive. That's a lot of meat for only 30 days of living. But then Crush's opponent on a rooftop in a downtown metropolitan city is The Undertaker, a.k.a. Brian Lee. And Crush and Brian Lee as The Undertaker engage in a 10-minute fight scene with sound effects straight out of Street Fighter. And I cannot recommend enough to watch this shit on YouTube. After this motherfucker served his nickel, he was rehired and came back on the August 12th, 96 Raw with another new gimmick, a man who had been arrested. And WWE refuses to admit that anyone in their company ever has ever done anything bad, but they went headfirst into this. I mean, they talked about (laughs) the fucking arrest, the drugs. I, I like how we're not mentioning at all fucking Vince and his issues but anytime any of his guys goes to prison like hey you think we can get cameras in the prison like <laughs> even years earlier with Ken Patera right, him coming yeah. out of prison and then like the whole thing he's a change man and paid his debt to society I think that's a great story well, what about you you know in the federal government Vince you want to talk about that fuck no don't bring that shit up I'm trying to I run for friend. congress <laughs> like, 
even Todd Pettengill, or uh, probably Ted Pettengill, brings it up during one of those uh, recap shows or something. It talks about, I think it talks about it when he originally got arrested. They just totally fucking out him. Hey, talk about the time you got arrested for having a shitload of drugs and steroids and guns. Bang, bang! What's up, shooter? <laughs> Crush would have Clarence Mason as his new representation, and he squashed Savio, uh, winning with a full Nelson. Like, that's your big comeback move? Your fucking full Nelson. He also used the heart punch, so he's going super old school in every way. But if you look at 96 WWF, this is when it's starting to transition to the Attitude Era. You got Stone Cold coming up. Crush is like one of the first like really edgy, badass characters uh, in theory. One thing I can't recommend enough checking out. I stumbled across it and it was, this is the YouTube title. Crush Attacks Fan on Superstars, October 13th, 1996. So you got badass ex-con biker Crush gets in an argument with a ringside fan who starts talking shit. I can't remember how exactly it goes down, but I think the fan actually slaps Crush. And then Crush grabs him by his shirt, slings him over into the ringside area, and starts beating the shit out of him. And Jim Ross is going nuts. Like, Crush may be going back to jail here. I think he's on probation. And that fan is a 23-year-old Steve fucking Carino. So I highly recommend looking this up. It's cool as hell. Crush would be back on pay-per-view at Survivor Series 96 where he made some accidental history. No one could have saw this coming because it is the debut of the fucking rock. Crush would even take the losing pin to Rocky Maya via. Brian Adams was probably like, don't worry, kid. I'll take care of you out there. <laughs> I knew your old man, Rocky Johnson. <laughs> old soul man himself. He was good to me in Portland. I'll, I'll look out there for you, kid. If there's anything you need, you let you give me a call. Old Crush gonna take care of you out there. <laughs> and then, of course, like, you know, Rocky's probably firing up, ready for that big comeback, waiting for Crush to bump and feed. Crush takes one bump, and he's just like, pin me, kid. You only get one bump. <laughs> In this comeback, brother. Come on. Shaka bra. <laughs> in the fall of 96, Crush started beefing with Savio Vega, and he and Clarence Mason joined the Nation of Domination, which leads me to believe that he did not join the Aryan Brotherhood while in the clink. He and Vega would eventually patch things up when they both joined the Nation in uh, 97, and the Nation focused their attention on Ahmed Johnson. Uh, WrestleMania 13, they'd have a Chicago street fight, deep dish style son. <laughs> I love how at the time WWF was like, WCW uses blood and we will not have that on our television. Anyways, kids, here's some gang violence. Well, and also, too, like a few matches later, like, oh, uh, Stone Cold's going to gig the fuck out of himself. <laughs> Actually, no, Bret Hart's going to gig the fuck out of Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Excuse me, because he did, he did the honors for him. But yeah, and then like in that Chicago street fight, like Ahmed Johnson fucking power bombs the ever living fuck out of a Nation of Domination member because he did something fucking stupid. I don't know what it was, but Ahmed said, "Oh, that power bomb was real." <laughs> <laughs> My biggest complaint is they cut. They all come out for a Chicago street fight, and uh, LOD and Ahmed Johnson are in their like big spiky power armor. And they take the shit off for the Chicago street fight. Like, of all the things, wouldn't you just keep that on because it's totally legal as defense? Fucking God. 
Crush takes the finish in this match with a doomsday device. They pick him up and then whip him into a two by four. And that's good game for the nation. Yeah, it's kind of all he does. The whole time there's all these big oh shit spots. Crush is kind of nowhere to be seen. Following Crush and the Nation kept feuding with Ahmed on and off TV leading to 97's King of the Ring and Crush has a solid match with Gold Dust and loses to a DDT. But the thing to watch was the main event where Farouk took on The Undertaker for a world title shot. On the outside, Crush and Savio Vega started getting into an argument which distracted Farouk, causing him to get tombstoned and lose. And the following night on Raw, Crush and Vega were fired by Farouk. Now, as America's revolving door for-profit prison system only focuses on punishment as opposed to a more productive rehabilitation and mental health and education, Damn right. it was only a matter of time before the once jolly Hawaiian kid joined a gang. And on the June 23rd episode of Raw, Crush would begin feuding with Farouk with his new biker faction, the Disciples of Apocalypse. The real fucking members of the Aryan brother. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I guess he did after all. Yeah, he did. I, I was, I was, I thought you were gonna come back to that. Crush was undercover Aryan Brotherhood, much like Ahmed Johnson was undercover in the Nation of Domination. Exactly. This is this is nothing but Sons of Anarchy. They just ripped off the entire storyline from all this shit. Bro, if you ever need a writer who wrote on successful television, I can come in. I have a resume. Monday Night Raw at its highest, 1997, till whenever I didn't do it anymore. Whenever the ratings dip, here's my application for Sons of Anarchy. First thing that I think should be done is that you should take the lead character. He comes out of a porta potty wearing a New Year's baby diaper and then gets his ass kicked by Ron Perlman's character. That's what I think should be done. Also, it feels like, uh, I don't know if anybody saw the Warlock direct-to-video movies of the 90s, but it seems like Warlock 8, Disciples of Apocalypse. You know how Undertaker does the the setup? I bet his dick did that the second he saw someone drive a motorcycle down to the ring. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. The Undertaker's dick only moved when he heard these simple words. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. rolling, 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 rolling. Uh, We'll get to that later. I got that in my notes, too. I I like the consistency with uh, Chains has hair, eight ball, bald. Crush, hair, skull, bald. They nailed the consistency with the hair to uh, baldness ratio with the names. Bravo. Crush led DOA in a gang war against Farouk's nation and Savio Vega's Los Boliquas. Boliquas. Los Boliquas. Los Boliquas. Fuck, it was so bad. (laughs) They would just fight all through 97. The three leaders fought in a triple threat at ground zero, which Vega won. Los Barricuas. God damn it, this is so hard. Uh, they beat DOA at SummerSlam. Spencer's going to break up with you <laughs> in this segment. And then everything ended up at In Your House Bad Blood. Any thoughts on these, these gang war street fights? Um, They were kind of the, the pee and poop breaks, I think, in a way, even though they should have been like, oh, yeah, they're finally going to collide. One moment that I enjoyed at the SummerSlam match, they're all brawling all over the place, and Crush, he gets on his uh, motorcycle, and drives it 
through the brawl around the ring where other people are brawling and then back through the brawl it's 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 terrifying as hell because you're waiting for just a real deal catastrophe to happen but i gotta give it to crush he, he knows how to drive a fucking bike here's the thing about those matches yeah it is the pee and poop break yeah and of course as a young kid's like oh they're not doing the coolest spots but like <laughs> Anytime that I've had to go back and watch one of these pay-per-views for how to get booked episode or for whatever, or I stumble upon it or I stumble upon a GIF of it online, I'm always like thoroughly entertained by it because these guys are literally beating the fucking piss <laughs> yeah, out of each other. Like, as as a performer who's trying to be a perfectionist as an artist right. and trying to like make it look like it's it's snug and in there when really it's the artistry of it is absolutely perfect and that's something to appreciate but there's also something to appreciate just two big guys like let's just beat the fuck out of each other (laughs) and just psychopaths in their own right just like destroying each other and like hurricane castillo a member of the los ruquas steve carino tells this awesome story of when he worked puerto rico with hurricane castillo and hurricane castillo's entrance song was rocky like a hurricane and he was so over in Puerto Rico because of that fucking song. Hell yeah. And there was like a fucking, there was a moment where like Hurricane Castillo's like music hit before he goes. Well, right before he went out, he fucking like did a line of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> like right as the song played, did a line of cocaine. The fucking cue hits. Here I am. And like he just comes out like fucking freshly snorted coke on his fucking <laughs> nose. And he's like, ah! <laughs> As I'm like, fuck, man, that's like the Scarface of professional wrestling right there. Like, that's gotta, that's gotta be the coolest goddamn shit ever for all the wrong fucking reasons, too. Like, I just, it just, something like that. Like, that's what, that was like the fucking least of the psychopaths. Miguel Perez might have been the only professional of that, and Savio, of course, might have been the only professionals of these groups because, holy shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the fucking each other so hard. It's so amusing to me. I would never want to wrestle any of them ever at any moment in time. But these, just, these people just slaughtering each other. And like Savio, the nicest man on the face of the right. earth, is like, all right, I'm just gonna fucking spin kick the fuck out of you in like these boots. They got the biggest heel of them all time, and I'm gonna put it across your face, and I'm not gonna give a fuck what happens in your nose, like. Holy shit, I fucking love it. Like, it's just, it's so entertaining. I love it. (laughs) So after this, DOA would have a short-lived rivalry with the Truth Commission that ended up at 97 Survivor Series with the Truth Commission actually getting the win here. This would be Crush's last WWF pay-per-view as he would leave the company in protest of the screw job. I didn't find any details on the whole protest screw job shit, did you? No. It just seemed kind of... He he doesn't have like a shoot or anything, so this is all like. Yeah. Hopefully, this is right. Yeah, basically. You know, him leaving in protest of the screwdrop makes a little bit more sense to me because I always thought it's super fucking weird that Bret Hart's first match in WCW was with Brian Adams. I remember seeing that even then. I was like, was like, what? Why fucking? Why Brian Adams of all fucking people? And I, I didn't get it till probably like when I started doing the research for this. I'm like, oh, I fucking get it now. Like Brett was trying to give him a little bit of rope. Like, hey, Brett will come in, give Brian some stuff, make him look good. Obviously, Brett's going over, but like give Brian the rub of working with Brett on his first like WCW, his debut. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that sounds very Brett Hardish. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make your career tonight. 
by <laughs> losing to me in my debut. Like that all, all the pieces come together in my head. Adams would make his debut on February 16th, 98's Nitro. Bret Hart was out responding to some remarks from Hulk Hogan. When Brian Adams comes out, he tells him he's got his back, but much swear very bro. It was a ruse. He was a decoy. NWO swarmed in. Brian opened his giant duster jacket to reveal an NWO shirt. He get his in-ring debut the following Thunder, tagging up with Kurt Henning to take on Davey Boy and Jim Neidhart. It ended in a double DQ. And then, like everyone who entered 98 NWO WCW, if you're not Hogan, Nash, or a current player in the NBA, go stand in the fucking corner till we need you. I mean, he just he perfected that mean face in the background. He just nailed the shit out of it. He'd uh, be part of 98 Starcade, and I know WCW is about to hop into the Black Diamond ski slope into oblivion, but as a wrestling fan and a wrestler, it's got to be pretty cool to do your first Starcade. Yeah, I mean, doing a WrestleMania, doing a Starcade, like, there's not a lot of people that can say that, and Crush can. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that very no. blah response. <laughs> <laughs> blah text. It's very blah episode. <laughs> they did technically happen. Adams teamed up with Scott Norton to beat up Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn. Not not Jerry Lynn. That's right. In 99, NWO reunited. Brian got put on that infamous B team. And as the name implies, he would just kind of putter around on the low parts of the card and work house shows and just kind of fucking exist. I'll try to give a little shine to Brian here because I watched way too much of this era. So I, I feel like I really did my homework on this one. Some of the guys he beat on the house show loop or jobber loop. Uh, sorry, I said jobber. The first name I say, Jake's going to get mad at me. He would uh, beat Bobby Eaton. Oh, no. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> I didn't mean it. It was an honest mistake, I swear. Um, well, he, he beat Eric Watts, who's wearing Jinkos. Nice. Um, and he, he beats the Renegade. Also, one match to not look up is Brian Adams versus Mongo at Road Wild 98. It's quite a Mongo botch mania, and that's saying something. Go fucking One watch that, that shit, is- please. Watch it <laughs> now. Oh, I fucking love Mongo. F- fuck off. Fuck all of you. I'm still Mongo. Hey, I-, I love Mongo in the way that I love the movie The Room, so I totally get it. I still can't believe that after some of the shit I've said on this podcast and some of the horrific fucked up jokes I've made, the only pushback I've ever gotten is on Steve Mongo fucking McMichaels. <laughs> They're just a Bears fan, man. Don't fuck with the Bears fan. And rightfully so, Mongo had a goddamn fucking place, okay? Like, <laughs> he did. And, and sure, he fucked shit up, but you know what? That motherfucker tried some shit you've never seen before. He did. <laughs> I, he had ambition for days, which is also a detriment. And I've clarified. I've clarified with Mongo. I'm not done with Mongo. I'm not. I, I'm not gonna let you. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> I won the award. Make it very clear. Fucking, you can cut out 95% of Mongo's mistakes if you just don't allow him to run the ropes. Simple <laughs> as that. It's true. It's true. It's true. Jake nailed it. That's an agent. That's agent advice right there. One thing that was pretty memorable, Eddie Guerrero was having that feud with Eric Bischoff, and uh, Brian Adams was the wrestler that Eddie just laid down for and refused to fight. It's probably one of the coolest things because there's real acting involved, and Brian's like, I can't just punch you, man. I need I need you to fight. And it ends up with Eddie just laying down and Brian pinning him, laze blah. Who could forget him teaming up with Horace Hogan for their tag team matches? I would say this is an actual recommendation. 
Look up the uh, Brian Adams Horace Hogan versus Benoit Malenko cage match on Thunder. Obviously, the other men involved are a reason why the match might be good, but Brian and uh, actually have some cool little sequences, and dives off the top of the cage and slams right onto Brian Adams' shoulder. And then who could forget the great uh, battle royal to determine who was the leader of the NWO? Don't we all remember that, <laughs> Nick? What were your memories on that great match? Literally no clue. Yep, uh, Stevie Ray won that, and then shortly thereafter, Scott Norton got mad at him for some reason, and they kicked him out of the NWO. And later that night, then he would interfere in a match with the NWO. But then later on that Nitro, Brian Adams would get into a limo with Kiss <laughs> on the license plate. What is this? Where are we in? 90, late 90s WCW. I don't fucking know. Fucking know. <laughs> They're like, this, this band from the 70s will surely pop the territory, <laughs> right? Like, maybe AEW should bring in fucking Chumbawamba or somebody. Like, well, it makes no sense. Go fuck yourself. Uh, first of all. First off, first off. For, for, uh, first point of business. Go fuck yourself. You have no idea the power of Kiss and even the power of 90s Kiss, uh, apparently. Their their tours during the mid-90s still monstrous as they fucking were during the 80s and even the 70s. No dip in their fucking career whatsoever. Their band label and the fucking logo was just as powerful as fucking ever. Like the Kiss fucking logo almost just as powerful as the fucking lips from the Rolling Stones. To say like, oh, well this was just like fucking Steppenwolf being on fucking Nitro. Fuck off, this is Kiss. Um... <laughs> Do you, do you not want the fucking rub from the from from Kiss? Like Kiss is gonna give you that goddamn fucking rub. So yeah, fuck off. Uh, just fuck off. <laughs> that's fuck off right away. Point. That's that, that. That's all I want to get off. I I did. I would have had a. I would have prepared a better defense as I have for Mongo McMichael multiple times because yeah. I know I have to every time I come on here. If I knew I had to build the case against the band Kiss, I would have prepared some better notes other than just. Fuck off, Nicholas. So, um, yeah. And you know who would agree with Jake? Tony Schiavone, who introduced Kiss. Huge fan. I don't mind them. They're fine. Uh, this happened on August 23rd, 98th Nitro. It's edited out of the network, I assume, for copyright stuff because they performed a song. The funniest thing about Kiss to me, though, is that all the fucking parents back then were like, this is Satan itself. It's not in Satan service. This is hell yep. in music. And now you just hear it at a fucking lobby of a Denny's or somewhere. <laughs> this was Satan walking the earth. And now you're just in line at TJ Maxx. And it's, I was made for loving you, baby. Yeah, I was going to say, my favorite thing about Kiss is the movie Detroit Rock City. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is a good movie. <laughs> That's a great movie. So Crush actually wouldn't even wrestle as the Kiss Demon. He'd uh, pass the gimmick off to Dale Torbog. He'd work under his real name until October where he took some time off. He would show back up in April of 2000 where he formed the tag team Chronic with Brian Clark, a.k.a. Adam Bomb. And this may be the only time I ever say this about anything from WCW 99 to 2001. This is pretty good. Yeah, man, they were breaking necks and cashing checks. Chronic, 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 <laughs> chronic, chronic, We're for chronic, chronic pain, chronic destruction, and chronic everything. <laughs> they just would throw chronic in front of whatever, and I fucking, like I said at the beginning of the show, fucking love this. 
don't get me wrong, like, if I would have saw, like, the Road Warriors and their fucking prime, I would have loved the fuck out of it. And then, like, I would have right. saw this. I'm like, ah, this isn't as good as the fucking Road Warriors and the prime, whatever. But, like, seeing the Road Warriors, like, later later years and demolition later years and not seeing the prime of just an ass-kicking fucking tag team, this got me right in my feels. Like, oh, it's like double Stone Cold Steve Austin. Just guys <laughs> just beat the fuck out of everybody and don't give a fuck and don't sell for anybody's anything else. Like, it was just kind of like that. I mean, I fucking dug it, and it was it was so fucking 1999, 2000s. It was just fucking perfect oh, for God, me. Yep. And, like, just, you know, anytime, like, a big fucking jack dude, like, as a 17, 18-year-old, like, man, I want to be fucking jack like that. How do I get to, <laughs> how do I get to be like that guy? And then, like, I'm like, hey, there's this thing called the Internet. Let's look it up. And I type in Brian Adams. I'm like, ah, oh, well, I've already got the summer of 69 on LimeWire. <laughs> I don't really need that anymore. Let's see Brian Adams wrestler. Holy shit. That's how he got so big. He got arrested. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe I don't want to do all those drugs, but yeah, super cool. Loved it. It's so unfortunate. This is probably the best work of his entire career. And it, it's when WCW is circling the drain. It's just such bad timing. And you got to give it to Brian. He, he doesn't just mail it in. He adds some more moves to his repertoire. One of his moves is the fucking F5. I don't know if Brock was watching Chronic and stole that shit, but he does an F5 and he also does a full Nelson slam, which always looks pretty damn cool. The whole thing, though, is like the whole time you're watching WCW circle the drain and then you have this great fucking tag team. You're like, man, if this team could only just make it to the WWF. <laughs> yeah. And boy, uh, boy, yeah. were we fucking mistaken. <laughs> um, one thing I need to point out that the main event of Halloween Havoc 2000 was an elimination handicap match with Chronic versus Goldberg. That was it. That was the main event. I mean, they're they're two-time tag team champions here. They're badass. They're cool. But, of course, anything in WCW doesn't really lead anywhere. And they just kind of no. puttered around until Vince put the company out of its misery in 01. Chronic did have a blip in the uh, evasion angle, getting a small feud with Kane and Taker. They go into 2001's Unforgiven, where like the rest of the WCW roster, they were totally put over and had nice long careers. On opposite day, they lost and they got future Endeavor not long after. But I want to bring up Jake, which Limp Biscuit song did Undertaker and Kane come out to for this match? What would you say? How would it go? Rolling, 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 keep rolling, 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 rolling. But you know what? Fuck you. When he came out, I think it was a WrestleMania to Rolling, and then he had the American flag on the back of his fucking bike. Fuck both of y'all. If you didn't have a goddamn tear in your eye when that happened, like I don't give a fuck. We had all the clues for how he is now. We just didn't see him when they were right there in front of us. Which is fucked up to me that the American flag is like, oh, if you like the American flag, you're a conservative. And you're a fucking Trump-loving fucking and it has turned into Fuck that. off, it man. Is- like, flag is not that fucking man's IP. Fuck you. Fuck off. That flag stands for change. It stands for rebellion and the freedom to express yourself and express what's wrong with this country and what's right with this fucking country. So go fuck yourself. You fucking assholes don't own the rights on that goddamn flag. That fucking flag is for fucking everybody goddamn right the most important part that people don't like is the whole to say what's wrong with the country but you know i'm sure the whole reason that fucking undertaker didn't want to sell for chronic and shit like that is like brian adams like you know what i think black lives do matter and then (laughs) yep not selling for you i don't know i only assume that's how it went down i'll give it to undertaker he did take their high times double choke slam through an announce table They, they tried they tried 
Adams hit some American indies before returning to All Japan, where he and Adam Bomb were tag champs until Crush decided he wanted to become a pro boxer. Hey, the Mickey Rourke route is not a bad route to take. He actually had a boxing match scheduled for November 16th, 2002 at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, but he suffered a injury during training and had to drop out. That always sucks, man. Imagine training for a fight, putting in all that work, and then you fuck it up at the end. Yeah. I know. It's it's like dedicating your life to something, and then a pandemic happens, and then you don't fucking <laughs> oh, do that thing anymore. Oh, so oh, I wouldn't fucking know what it's like to train for one boxing uh, thing when you've already wrestled on Starcade and WrestleMania. <laughs> wouldn't fucking know oh, what that's fucking like. <laughs> Heaven forbid you didn't do a fucking boxing expedition at the Mandalay Bay. Man, that fucking sucks. What'd you do, Nick? Uh, what sorry. did you do? <laughs> Without boxing, he'd go back to Japan, which leads to his last ever in-ring appearance, January 19th, 03, teaming with Mr. Adam Baum, where they took on Bill Goldberg and Koji Moto. Who was who that? Who, who that? Who was that name again? Let's who say again. That? Great Muda. <laughs> there he, he totally got by your bullshit. He totally jumped off the bar. I, 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 no, no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second now. I'm not going to fucking wait. Like, like, normally when you say a Japanese name, like, don't you mean this guy? You said that. I'm like, I have no fucking idea who you're talking about. Uh, and he's only the biggest Japanese professional wrestler of all time. Uh, and you can't even say Kenji Moto. Uh, like, <laughs> when I was doing my outline, I was like, I should just put Great Muda. And then I was like, nah, yeah, I'll get right? it right. And then I did not. <laughs> Nick, I like your ambition, but I don't like your ability not to learn from yourself. All right, but he suffers a career-ending injury here. Uh, it's a fucking bummer. I, I assume Goldberg did it because of it's yeah, Goldberg. Of course. I mean, Bret Hart would agree. Yeah. <laughs> Following his retirement, Adams was a bodyguard for Randy Savage as he made the loop promoting his CD, Be a Man, Hulk Hogan. It, I assume it was just Randy Savage instructing Brian Adams to look out for Hulk Hogan from every angle. <laughs> All right, then sadly... August 13th, 2007, Brian Adams had an accidental overdose. Um, he mixed up a bunch of pills, but they were at therapeutic levels. It was just the combination. Of, and uh, he passed away. He was only 43. So uh, final thoughts on Crush, Chronic? I'm going to start off Brian Adams' final thoughts by saying, uh, listen to JR's podcast, too, because he talks more about Brian Adams. And the one thing I want to get across is he said Brian was so beloved backstage. Like, people loved the hell out of him. He was always fun. He was always jovial. Even on some of the Wrestling Classic message board, I saw some guys talking about who had worked with him in smaller shows, how he, he went out for them. He put in good words and in little small spots that might not mean. He probably didn't think they mean a lot, but they really went all the way for people lower on the totem pole. Yeah, I mean, he he was he was that good angry face in the background. I mean, he had the the crush motion that he did when he was gonna crush a skull that got over his hell. So there there was a point where Crush really had that opportunity, but it just it just never came to be. I remember so much of uh, his NWO stuff when he beat down Bret Hart. That was cool. And I remember that excitement because back then it was always fun when a dude crossed over or an old guy who you knew as a previous gimmick came in and there was that excitement for that. And I remember feeling that excitement, but then the booking just, you know, threw him in to what that bullshit was. This is a weird way to close it, but it's seriously one of the coolest things I've found. There was a weird moment where MTV and WCW 
got together and look up on YouTube WCW Snow Brawl Battle Royal 123.99. I think it's a 10-man battle royal. Crushes of, or sorry, Brian Adams is involved. It's a bunch of WCW guys in the ring doing a battle royal. It begins with the Nitro Girls dancing to Offspring's Pretty Fly for a White Guy. And then on commentary for this, you got Rob Zombie, the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and Larry Zabisco. And if that's not enough, you got Stuttering John from the Howard Stern Show introducing Brian Adams. And then you got Booker T coming out to the ring to OPP by Naughty by Nature. And you get Brian Adams wins this fucking battle royal. He throws Disco Inferno into a snowbank and he cheers in victory like I hope he is in heaven. We've kind of talked about how kind of meh he was. And I mean, the, the baby face Hawaiian crush, like it's not good. But he did a lot of cool things. I mean, getting regular work in Japan his entire career, that's nothing to like scoff at. He even hit the territories and had a cool run in Portland. Being part of Demolition is kind of a really cool, weird thing. He worked WrestleMania's Starcade. It sucks that he he found his groove at the end of his career. Because the chronic thing, I mean, if, if that would have been a Vince idea, if that would have debuted in Attitude Era WWF, it would have been huge. It just happened to be in WCW. They just happened to get bought out by Vince, who was going to rape and pillage everything that company ever had. And it sucks because that would have been a really cool badass tag team. He had the size. He had a, a cool look at times. It's just just that, fu- that just that next level charisma that when you see Shawn Michaels walk out and you're like, oh, okay. You know, he just didn't have that. And it's it's fine. It's not like an insult to him. Not everyone has that. Not everyone can be a, a top-tier Dwayne Johnson, Stone Cold, Hulk Hogan guy. And he wasn't. But he carved out a solid career. And, you know, he was fine. Well, thanks, Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, like how, I like how you just kind of kept going on that final thought, thinking that there's going to be a button there. And then you just, like, gave up. I'm like, all right, fine. I give up. Like, I just... And you covered it there, you know? He he was around. He got to do a lot of stuff. Being part of Demolition, Super Cool, Starcades, WrestleMania. That fucking crush thing, Hawaiian babyface, was fucking weird and mis-fucking-handled. Maybe if it wasn't during the steroid trial, Vince would have had a better handle on it, and he could have been, like, something fucking great. And if Chronic was in Attitude Era, if that was a Vince Russo idea, that could have been fucking awesome. Or a Vince Russo WWF idea would have been awesome. But, like... Obviously, you know, like people like Crush. He's a nice dude. I mean, even after some of the stumbles and bumbles and mistakes, like he was still around, still booked, still used. Like, hey, bring him in. Use Crush. He's a big guy. We'll see what the fuck happens. You know, they, they would do that shit with fucking Sid Vicious. And of course, he would obviously, he had the charisma and they put him at the top of the card and then he would fucking take off for softball season or do something weird or fucking piss somebody off or say the wrong thing or no show or whatever the fuck. You know, Crush didn't seem like to be that guy, you know? I mean, other than obviously the fucking hiccup with the fucking house arrest issue, um, which, like I said, worked out better for him. But, like, obviously, like, even with those things, like, he's still around. You never heard, like, a lot of stories of, like, you know, Brian Adams kind of fucked me over or did this. The only person I've ever heard, like, talk bad about him necessarily is Billy Jack Haynes, but that man's a psychopath. Um, So, whatever. But, yeah, like, this is what I'll say. We've said meh, blah, and fine. I'll tell you what, though. If Crush was still alive today, I would fucking love 
to have him on a high spots virtual gimmick table show. <laughs> and I would fucking love to auction off a crush fucking singlet. Like Hawaiian era. And I guarantee that would draw like thousands of dollars. And I have a feeling he'd just be like cool as shit. He would sign crush stuff. He would sign chronic stuff. He would sign whatever weird incarnation of, of his career it is. And probably do it with a smile. Take the money and be like, hey, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Like, I feel like he'd be appreciative of his career and it'd probably be pretty easy to deal with, unlike one of our more recent guests. Well, not name because he might murder me. Uh, <laughs> regardless of all that, Scott that's how. F- <laughs> no, me and Scott Sign are best friends. But me and Crush could have ended up being good friends, but unfortunately, that's not to be. And that's, that's sad and unfortunate because maybe the world needs a little more Crush in our life. All right, that is the big Hawaiians Tim Bell pod. Uh, appreciate you listening. Please check us out over at patreon.com slash Tim Bell pod. Find us on social media. Find us at timbellpod.com. Uh, you guys got anything? Coming to the ring, the original Hawaiian punch. Crash! Hey, this is Micah for Tin Bell Pod, and if you want to make all my lonely hours and my teenage years of sitting in my room watching tapes somehow mean something later in my life, uh, if you could donate to Patreon, it would mean a lot to me and 15-year-old me who dreamed of getting laid. Thank you.